Welcome to the Careers for Net Zero podcast. I'm Holly Taylor from the Energy Efficiency Council. And I'm Anita Tabu from the Clean Energy Council. And we're your co-hosts for this special limited series podcast. Careers for Net Zero showcases the many exciting career opportunities available to those wanting to deliver an equitable, prosperous and net zero emissions Australia. Over the course of this limited series, we're interviewing 10 everyday Australians with careers across the clean economy, learning more about what they do and how they got there and how you can too. But before we dive in, we always want to acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded and produced on the lands of the Rwundji, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung peoples of the Kulin Nation in Nam, otherwise known as Melbourne. The Clean Energy Council and Energy Efficiency Council respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the Wundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung peoples, as well as all First Nations traditional owners, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We're delighted to introduce our next champion to the Careers for Net Zero podcast, Facilities Manager Champion Ryan Delimpio. Ryan is joining us from Perth, where he works as a Building Services Manager at CBRE's QV1 site. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. G'day, Anita. Hi, Holly. Really great to be with you guys today. Thanks for the opportunity to come and have a chat. Thanks, Ryan. Can you start off by telling us, what's a Facilities Manager? What do you actually do as one? Yeah, well, I guess uh, the name kind of gives it away a little bit, but the devil's in the detail. Facilities management, um, it is just that, managing a facility. Um, and it, it really just, it's, it's, um, it goes far beyond kind of what you might expect. A lot of people um, that work or reside in, in um, commercial office towers or residential apartment buildings probably don't give a lot of thought to what goes on behind the scenes. So um, it's about making sure that um, systems work efficiently and effectively. Uh, it's managing people um, to make sure that uh, maintenance tasks are being taken care of, um, that the lifts and elevators work properly, the lights are on, the power's on, the toilets are flushing, uh, the painting looks good, the gardens are growing. Um, it's, it's really a far-reaching um, job uh, and a really diverse um, a really diverse role. Ryan, it sounds like a really, really interesting job because of that diversity. And you've basically talked through like why it's important to, you know, make sure the facility or the building is, is running well and smoothly because obviously people don't want to get stuck in a lift. People want a toilet that flushes. Um, people want to be warm or cool enough depending on, on the time of year, though I suppose over in Perth, more of a focus on cool enough. Um, but most definitely in, indeed yeah. and critically Anita mentioned in, in the intro that you work with all the decarbonization tools in the tool shed so you know principally you are very focused on energy efficiency and electrification of the building and the opportunity to decarbonize but you're also thinking about opportunities to integrate renewables opportunities for waste management opportunities for circularity more broadly and thinking about also carbon sequestration or removals through making sure that you've got good greenery throughout the building. Like simply put, your job is like creme de la creme of a clean economy job because it's doing a bit of everything. Um, to give us a bit of a sense though, because you are doing a bit of everything, what would you normally do day to day like what's involved in a job and, and happy if that day to day turns into a month to month because sometimes it's energy efficiency sometimes it's waste management sometimes it's just standard buildings controls like what do you normally do yeah you're right holly and and i guess 
um, you know, the focus on decarbonisation, net zero, ESG as a whole is is really very important to both the stakeholders uh, and the occupants of um, of any building, particularly a premium grade commercial asset um, that I work on. Uh, and it's something that is at the forefront of thinking whenever we're making decisions about anything. Um, you know, the day, the day in the life of a, of a facilities manager, I don't know, pandemonium or hectic chaos kind of spring to mind. And, and some might think that that's due to lack of prior planning or, or organisation. It's just that every day looks um, vastly different in terms of what you're doing. I think that um, for me, it's, it's about kind of keeping our eye on the end game and, and what we're trying to achieve more holistically for the site and the, and the uh, occupants and the building owners. Um, yes, we've, we've implemented a bunch of different efficiency measures. And I think in decades gone by, that was really kind of about maximising um, the way that plant and equipment were working and, and making sure that that was really efficient to make sure that um, you know it was working as well as it could and that we had to you know replace components less. But now it's really about kind of looking at what we're doing in terms of our emissions and our carbon footprint um, and doing whatever we can to reduce um, that in any way possible. Obviously, there's some re regulatory kind of uh, requirements around um, neighbours' ratings, um, Green Star performance ratings, and, and there's a lot of different rating tools out there that kind of can help guide the path for facilities managers. Um, but, you know, really, it at the end of the day, um, there's a difference between achieving bare, min bare minimum requirements or, or ticking a, a regulatory box um, to really actually committing to wanting to make a difference to the you know, to uh, the city, the built environment, and to to the the planet Earth as a whole. Um, we're kind of uh, now on a pathway uh, for QV1, um, particularly of of we we have achieved a carbon neutral status. For us, that isn't enough, and this whole net zero journey begins. Um, and you know, when when we're dealing with our um, on-site team, and that is kind of our trades and service providers. It's important that we're communicating or, or that I am communicating a message to them in terms of where we where we are presently and where we're looking to go so that we can have that kind of buy-in or sense of uh, ownership from the wider group uh, and that everybody's kind of understanding that these are the kind of targets that we want to we want to hit and these are the these are the goals that we want to achieve and ultimately net zero is good um, for for us um, for the building for the stakeholders, for the environment and the planet. Most of us think about the buildings that we work in or facilities that host industrial activities as just that, buildings. But it strikes me the way you're speaking about it, it's almost like it's a living organism that it contains and it contains all the people that are in the building and using it um, and all of the functions that the building needs to um, affect during the day, throughout the week, the month. What does, in that context and, and with that passion of which you speak around sort of these assets, what does carbon neutral mean? How do you think about carbon neutral in that holistic way? Really, Anita, I think it's just about, um, you know, minimisation of, of waste um, or, and, and minimisation of waste can mean that if my, if my air conditioning chiller is not performing correctly, um, then that's wasteful energy. So um, it really is firstly, uh, from my perspective, about tuning efficiency and maximising performance of existing plant and equipment. 
Um, you're right in in saying that you know I look at the building and, and the surrounding precinct as a as its own kind of ecosystem, um, and so you know that kind of mechanical mindset then can transfer to waste management to uh, indoor environment quality, um, you know, uh, greening of the surrounding precinct and people's enjoyment of where they come to work. Um, it's um, in terms of, you know, that that whole that overarching wellness piece. It's it's about looking more holistically about how everything interacts together as one. Um, more recently, there's been significant capital investment in the site to um, try and uh, reduce, um, you know, the 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 emission through um, replacing outdated componentry. I mean, I think um, you know, carbon carbon neutrality was achieved by firstly implementing efficiency um, before we were looking to offset emission. Um, really, I think that's important for any facilities manager or, or property manager uh, or management group of any of these um, assets is to really look hard about you know what what is on the site existing and how can we get the best out of it. Then, what can we do further to that um, to off offset our emission? Um, you know, the the uh, carbon neutral uh, through climate active um, certification was achieved probably um, uh, on the back of, you know, eight to 10 years work prior to, um, you know, purchase of any um, offset. Um, and, and now we are um, offsetting a very minimal amount of, of carbon pollution into the atmosphere. Um, the journey to net zero looks a little bit more complicated because we're now having to talk to retailers about not using any of those gases, um, you know, replace uh, old um, water boilers for the HVAC system that are, are using gas and it's elimination of those scope one emissions, electrification, sorry, of the built environment. And um, it's, it's tricky on many levels because uh, there's a lot of consideration around investment for building owners uh, and there's a lot of consideration around engineering and how that all comes together. Um, but it's achievable. Uh, it's just a, a long-term commitment, um, but it's an exciting space to be in because it, it's an evolving um, discussion uh, amongst many, many um, people, trades as service providers, uh, engineers, consultant groups, the building owners, the occupants, and everybody has to have that buy-in and know kind of why we're doing what we're doing and where we're going um, and what must be done to achieve it. Which is effectively why you call it the built environment rather than just buildings and property because it is its own little ecosystem. Um, you have talked through a few different acronyms and, and key terms that people might not be that familiar with. For instance, you mentioned the fact that you achieved carbon neutrality, but you're now going you want to go further for net zero to net zero emissions. In advance of us unpacking that a little bit more, there's a few terms that you've brought up. I just think we want to clarify. You mentioned HVAC, HVAC being air conditioning, um, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. Um, you also mentioned ESG earlier, which is um, environmental, social, and governance. And there's a couple of key terms that you're talking about in terms of ratings and regulations, explicitly neighbours and Green Star. So before we unpack carbon, like how you've achieved carbon 
carbon neutrality, but why you're still going harder to support a net zero emissions economy. Can you give our listeners a bit of a sense of what is Neighbours and what is Green Star and why does QV1 and indeed why do you as a facilities manager care about this? Yeah, sure. Um, look, and, and apologies for the acronyms. Um, they, they, there's something that roll off my tongue because I'm so, uh, so used to kind of talking about this stuff. Neighbours is the National Australian Built Environment Rating System. That's what the acronym stands for. Um, and it's something that it, um, Neighbours has uh, four prongs to it. There's energy, uh, water, waste, and indoor environment. Now those, um, those kind of four prongs of the Neighbours Rating System allow um, buildings to benchmark against um, on, a, on a fair and, and even scale uh, against how they perform uh, in terms of efficient efficiency uh, and um, uh, and comfort in the built environment. Neighbours Energy is obviously um, you know kind of measuring how much energy we're all using in the built environment. Um, Neighbours Water, same with water, very self-explanatory. Um, waste and indoor environment. Indoor environment's an interesting one because it uh, takes into account lighting levels, air quality, um, population density on a floor, um, and a few other um, kind of tricky um, things. And, and all of these neighbours rating schemes are um, based on a, a one to six star rating system. Um, now, there's a there's a vast difference between a, a single star and and achieving six stars um, at QV1. We're kind of angling um, closer and closer to achieving our six star targets across the board. Um, Neighbours uh, indoor environment quality um, QV1 started participating in that um, over 20 years ago, uh, and we're running a six star Neighbours IE. Um, Neighbours energy. We've got a five and a half star neighbours energy. Water is four star, um, and waste, which we've only waste is a is a relatively new one on the neighbours scheme, but a very important one. Uh, and we've managed to achieve a three and a half star in our first year. So we're really proud of these ratings. Um, and it's not easy to achieve them because you're benchmarking it against everybody else in the built environment. So it's it's a very even way of doing things. Green star um, is. Uh, another measurement criteria for um, for environmental impact. Um, the Green Star um, building model was the first one to come out, and it was really about how new builds come out of the ground, how they're put together, and in terms of um, how how builders and and um, investment groups are are kind of managing their environmental impact. Um, being a 32 year old asset at QB1, um, we've Started partaking in the neighbor, uh, in the um, Green Star performance model, which measures how buildings perform in the built environment. Um, we're currently sitting at a four-star um, uh, rating in that particular rating scheme. So that's kind of a bit of a snapshot in terms of kind of the rating systems and and how they're broken down. Obviously, um, it's a lot more technical. And if we had someone um, like a a a, um, a consultant, and we have engaged. Um, uh, HFM are, are one of our preferred consultants who help guide us through and I think it's important for facilities managers and property people to have really good backing with people with you know uh, industry professionals that can really break it down because it does get quite complex but that's kind of where it sits yeah. You might say that you need to rely on some of our other careers for net zero champions engineers and net zero business advisors to help you get the job done. 
Very true, very true. I didn't know whether to drop Nick in it there or not. You can definitely pick uh, on Nick and Caitlin, whose episodes are, are already up. Um, so critically, that's a really good overview of some of the, the knowledge that you've had to gain on the job about different rating systems that are helping QV1 and, and CBRE support the decarbonisation and indeed the general overall sustainability of facilities and buildings. There's one other key term that I, or terms that I'd love for you to just deep dive into. So you talked about uh, getting climate active carbon neutrality certification, but the fact that you want to go beyond carbon neutrality to achieve, to support a net zero emissions economy. So Ryan, can you give us a bit of a sense of what is climate active? Why did you want it? But why do you want to go beyond carbon neutrality? Yeah, sure. Look, Climate Active uh, are, a, um, are a body that uh, will assist um, any organisation to um, offset carbon emissions. There are, um, there are other companies. Obviously, there's a plethora of companies that specialise in this field. Um, and it's about, um, it's, it's really, I, I guess, the decision between um, Climate Active or any other um, a scheme that kind of can assist in offset of emission is where um, is is how how it's managed. Obviously, it's driven financially, and and it's about um, an investment in a ecologically uh, sustainable um, emission offset program. So, Climate Active for us was um, was the choice, and and it gave our building owners and and occupants and us as a management group. Um, assurance that the the investment was being managed well, um, uh, it being managed sustainably and ethically, um, and we had a good understanding of what projects, um, you know, kind of um, would be supported by our investment. So the, the key bit there for those playing at home is um, Climate Active has enabled you to responsibly offset the emissions um, that QV1 is not able to actually decarbonise on the ground, which you're doing through the purchase of renewable electricity and rollout of energy efficiency upgrades and um, circular economy or, or waste management processes. And that commitment that you're talking about in terms of net zero emissions is saying, we don't just want to say, well, we've achieved carbon neutrality, we've done enough. You want to keep looking for opportunities um, as technology improves, as opportunities improve to continue to decarbonise on site. So if technology improvements exactly. come in, um, you can make those HVAC upgrades uh, when the technology improves. Is, and that's, is that what you mean by QV1's commitment to going beyond carbon neutrality to really supporting net zero emissions? That's right. Absolutely. Yep. You've hit the nail on the head. And it's kind of now, uh, it's now about further um, investment in, um, and, and really it's it's about kind of further management of our um, scope one, two and three emissions and, and how we how we can take how we can take that to the next level to essentially not be, um, you know, not be creating any carbon emissions at all on, on site. Um, and I'm sure that we can get there. It's just, uh, it's just a longer, it's a longer term journey. So if any listeners out there were picturing a facilities manager as wearing denim overalls and having a, a large chunk of keys jangling from their belt, I think you've completely destroyed that image. Uh, I'm picturing you mostly sitting actually behind a computer. Um, how did you get into this role? What was your pathway? Yeah, Anita, that's right. And and I think that, you know, there are um, there are times that I am still running around uh, the site um, with keys 
jingling um, kind of, you know, a lot of it is interfaced with with trades and service providers. And in, in years gone by, um, facilities management would have meant just that, you know, an on-site full-time technical person that probably wheeled a, tool, uh, a, a toolbox around and got hands-on. Um, yeah, it, the, the, the career um, has evolved um, now and, it, and it's more about that coordination piece. It's great to be able to still talk technical. Um, my background is um, from the electrical trades industry. I'm an electrician by trade. Um, yeah, I did my apprenticeship um, in WA uh, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed the industry. I, I was afforded the opportunity to work with a group called the College of Electrical Training, CET and Electrical Group Training, which are a, a body that um, employs apprentices as uh, subcontractors and appoints them to different um, different companies throughout their apprenticeship, which gives apprentices a really good cross-section of the industry. I worked um, on the floor in a switchboard building warehouse. I worked for a guy who um, wired up houses. I worked in the commercial um, building um, sector um, and, and a lot of different ones in between. I think I had six appointments in my four-year apprenticeship, which enabled me to get a really good cross-section of the industry and, and understand kind of where I wanted to specialise in um, the electrical industry as well. I finished my apprenticeship and worked for a company who were really on um, on cutting edge technology. Um, they installed uh, closed circuit television um, systems. So, um, you know, video cameras around sites, um, door access control systems and intercoms, worked in hospitals and police stations in installing uh, nurse call and uh, cell call systems. So it was a really, uh, a really fun journey and, and um, a great, a great career path in itself. But Kind of in that I, I started you know I think it was when I was working in a commercial office um, tower environment that I started looking around and and kind of thinking to myself wow there's a lot that goes into these places and imagine if you were in charge of kind of making sure that everything works well not just the electrical system but you know the plumbing system and the lifts and all of these things that I can see um, and and had contact with facilities managers kind of on my day-to-day -day journey as an electrician and I, and I kind of you know I got along well with them and I thought that they were really switched on kind of people so you know um, I think you know from an electrician to a facilities manager and I find that a lot of the facilities managers that I speak with are from a technical background in some respects they're either uh, electricians or um, you know plumbers carpenters um, people that kind of understand the way things are put together and the way that systems interact together um, and they're usually people that are more interested than just the here and now or the, the immediate task at hand and, and maybe a little bit more interested in the bigger picture and how things kind of work together. But also being, it sounds quite resourceful and creative and problem solving on a day to day. Most definitely. I think that the role of a facilities manager has evolved even in the last, I'm going to say five years, but you know, I, we're becoming more it, it's more if you if you think about a kind of a hotel concierge person like the way that we interact with the with the occupants of the building and the stakeholders to that point it's it's not just a person that can tell them about why they need to replace um the paving out in the forecourt because there's a there's a tile broken it's now more about you know how are people using this space and how how do you think that um you know how how do you think we can benefit our customers and clients better and 
you know, seeing seeing some of our, our tenant contacts and, and clients and customers around the tower, um, you know, I'll check in and just see how they're going, how how things are are tracking for them, how their staff are feeling, because that kind of their their happiness um, kind of and and contentment on the site um, kind of transfers to the happiness and contentment of everybody that is involved with the place. So um, yeah, it's kind of more than just a technical role, that's for sure. It's also a really powerful story about how being a facilities manager is not just about supporting net zero emissions. It is about supporting that cleaner economy that you know is equitable, is prosperous, and it's also net zero emissions. So it's a better world for all that are involved because you are genuinely caring about the human beings um, on, on your way through to getting us to net zero emissions. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. So speaking, thinking about you genuinely caring about human beings, which is very much progressing from that technical piece. Obviously, as an electrician, you studied a Cert three in electrotechnology back in the day. Um, but yep. as you've become a facilities manager, you've done a bit of additional training to support you with that journey and support you with that upskilling piece. Can you give us a bit of a sense of what additional training that you've done um, along the journey? You know, it was fairly early on with CBRE uh, when they were um, kind of offering to anybody that was interested um, a, you know, a, additional training in kind of whatever they thought might benefit their career. And I must say that CBRE particularly are good at um, supporting their people and, and making sure that they're, um, you know, correctly informed and educated to do their job. Uh, and that investment in in their staff to, you know, for further curricular um you know, extracurricular training um, is an excellent one. I studied a Cert 4 in property management, um, and that really kind of gave me a little bit more further understanding about how, um, you know, as a as a commercial real estate company, um, the biggest one in the world, in fact, that CBRE interacts with the the wider assets that they manage. So um, it's uh, it's really kind of you know, and, I, and I've got to say that managing uh, property um, is is a team effort. Really, a facilities manager is one role in a wider management group, particular on a larger asset. Um, generally, I will work with a property manager. Um, there's a team of of seven management staff at the QB1 um, tower that that help to um, you know create this this place that everybody can come and enjoy. Um, so you know a property management manager's role um, kind of more um, more generally would be uh, to manage um, the financial side of things, um, the the um, contractual side of things, so uh, lease agreements um, and and the like. Um, and probably well in the past have more interface with with tenant um, and tenant contacts. I think the facilities managers, as I, as I said previously, kind of have evolved a little bit more and, and are having a little bit more of that direct interface with the occupants of their buildings. Um, but a property manager, um, you know, a facility, uh, an FM would generally work with a PM. Um, they work hand in hand. And I think it's a good, it's a good unit and it's a good team. It, it kind of needs to be that way. Um, so doing that cert for in property management kind of gave me more of an understanding about, you know, why a property manager is asking the questions that they ask. So yeah, they're kind of, you know, that that's, you know, doing that, doing that certification allowed me kind of more in, insight into how um, how things come together as a whole and 
I think it it would it would pay most uh, facilities managers to have that certification in place. And since then, I guess it's it's a lot of kind of self-led um, research, really. Um, I kind of subscribe to there's there's a lot of different um, industry bodies, um, the Property Council of Australia, um, the Facilities uh, Management Association. Um, and, and, you know, that's about kind of information gathering and, and kind of making sure that we're, we're abreast of changes in, in um, industry norms um, in legislation and, and things like that. Um, and att att attending a lot of information sessions um, and, you know, obviously being part of this um, Careers for Net Zero um, has kind of allowed me the opportunity to speak with a bunch of different industry professionals as well and, and has been really beneficial to my professional development. But I think that um, generally an FM is, is, is really kind of naturally drawn towards information gathering and, and wanting to know more about what's going on. Um, so, yeah. All right. So just to clarify, Ryan, the certificate for property management doesn't require you to have had that certificate three as an electrician. Um, there are lots of different pathways. That was just your pathway, right? Yeah, that's exactly right, Anita. And, um, you know, I think that a cert for in property management, um, it's uh, is obviously some um, prerequisites, but it's 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 something that um, would be um, available to most people that have graduated high school, really. Um, and, you know, it was, um, yeah, I was, I was very appreciative of CBRE putting putting us through that training and, and getting that done, but uh, certainly not um, any other kind of particular trades or um, tertiary, other tertiary education required to do that one. So just to be clear, Ryan, if um, to do the certificate four in property management, you don't need to have a certificate three, that's just been your journey. Um, is that right? And then what opportunities are there sort of, again, post that certificate for potentially? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, certainly no um, kind of specific tertiary requirements for the Cert 4 in property management. Um, I think that uh, most people that have simply graduated high school or, or um, are interested in doing the course, would be it would be available to them. Um, in terms of additional um, for the facilities management role, uh, I believe that the uh, Facilities Management Association of Australia have developed a diploma of facilities management. And I think that that could be a very um, useful tool for, um, you know, young people who are looking to, or it doesn't have to be young people, anybody who is looking to kind of take up a, a role in facilities management. And it's probably um, something that would be beneficial to some facilities management managers um, who are just wanting to expand their knowledge in in their um, in their profession. Um, so yeah, I think it's a great initiative um, from the FMA. Okay, great, thanks. So the tip you'd probably give to our young listeners out there that are maybe finishing school or thinking about next steps is to have a chat to their local RTO or TAFE about some of the pathways into facility management. Um, and if they're employed in a relevant industry, maybe speak to their employer about supporting them on that career pathway which has been your experience. And it sounds you spoke with a little bit of passion about your experience. Can you go into a little bit more about any um, experience you've had either with people shaping your career or mentoring that you've done of younger people through the industry? Yeah, most definitely. I think for young people, yeah, for sure. Cert 4 in, in property management, um, have a look at the FMA's Diploma of Facilities Management. And I'd, I'd also say um, 
that, you know, just showing up to a building and having a chat to a management team um, just shows that enthusiasm. And, and um, as, as, a, as a matter of interest, um, I'm sure that um, if any young person walked through the door here and told me that they were looking to take up a job in, in um, facilities management, I would be more than willing to, to spend some time with them and tell them what it's all about. I have had um, some work experience um, people come through um, and also CBRE do an in internship program um, for, um, for university graduates uh, and and it's probably uh, more kind of, you know, focused on what um, CBRE do as a larger organisation and as a commercial real estate company. But as part of that, they will generally circulate graduates through the management office and they'll spend time across the board here with the team. Um, and I'll inevitably end up spending a lot of time with them because it's an interesting job and they're really interested in the nuts and bolts and, and the behind the scenes of how things work. Um, yeah, so I, I think that, you know, um, the kind of the TAFE, the FMA, um, speaking to people in the industry, approaching larger um, commercial real estate companies or any real estate company for that matter, because, you know, um, I manage a, a commercial office tower, um, but even smaller um, buildings and shopping centres um, need good facilities managers in place. It's the way that these places work smoothly. So I don't think there's any shortage of, of um, kind of, of opportunity or, or any shortage of, of options um, for young people or um, people who are after a career change to kind of start invest investigating how they get into it. Um, it, it um, I think it's, it's a matter of kind of, you know, if somebody is um, enthusiastic, shows interest, um, is is relatively technically minded um, and is is open minded. Um, they can they could be a right fit for facilities management. It's a fantastic career path and one that's um, one that's uh, probably uh, once you get into it, it's it's um, so much more fulfilling and rewarding um, than anybody really kind of would have expected it to be. I think that's a really really great way to end this episode, Ryan. Like it's a fantastic career path like that's what we need to be singing from the rooftops so really just want to thank you for your time not just today with recording this but over the last last few months with supporting the movement and sharing how to become an FM there's so many different pathways in there's such a diversity of what you can get involved in and indeed there's so many different ways that you can feel like you're contributing and learning and being challenged so thanks so, so much for all that you do right well, thank you, guys, and and thanks to the Clean Energy Council and the Energy Efficiency Council for the work that you guys do all of the time. Um, this is a fantastic kind of campaign, um, but it's it's very important work and it's collaborative work. And and I think that if we're going to get to where we need to go um, to make an impact, um, then you know it's it's through groups and organisations like yourselves um, that end up driving it on the really pointy end of things. So. Thank you, Holly, and thank you, Anita. Thank you, Ryan.
for our listeners at home, this is our last episode for the year. We have reached the halfway point of the Careers for Net Zero limited podcast series. We'll be returning in the new year with our final five episodes. And on the 1st of February, we'll be dropping with our policy advisor, Frankie, talking all things policy and how you can explore that career path alongside an FM and everything else. The Careers for Net Zero podcast is proudly brought to you by the Clean Energy Council and the Energy Efficiency Council. You can learn more about Ryan and how you can become a facilities manager and other clean economy careers at careersfornetzero.org.au. Get the latest Careers for Net Zero episodes delivered directly to you by subscribing to Careers for Net Zero on your preferred audio provider and by following our socials at Careers for Net Zero on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. And if you want to give us any feedback or ask any questions, reach out to the team via email at careersfornetzero at eec.org.au.